So today's episode is part of our special um, Activist Lawyer episodes focusing on the current situation in Palestine, Israel and we are lucky to be joined by Palestinian lawyers and people who can speak on certain legal aspects that we're going to raise um, over the next few weeks. We also have our um, normal format which will feature a profile of human rights lawyers and um, academics who will talk about their work and their experience. We'll have some of those episodes coming for you soon. But today I'm joined by Dr. Munir Nusaiba, who is a human rights lawyer and academic based in Al-Quds University in Jerusalem, Palestine. He is an assistant professor at Al-Quds University's Faculty of Law, the director and co-founder of Al-Quds Human Rights Clinic, the first accredited clinical legal education programme in the Arab world, and the director of the Community Action Centre in Jerusalem. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me again on this special episode of Activist Lawyer. We're in the studio in Uri, and I am very, very, very happy to be joined by Dr. Munir Nusiba. Thank you, Dr. Munir, for joining me. Thanks to you. You're based in I'm Jerusalem honest. at the minute. Yes, indeed, I am. Very good. I've already introduced you uh, to our guests, but just to uh, talk about where we're at at the moment um, in terms of what's happening with the ICJ. And I'm just interested in hearing your perspective about some of the matters as they've developed, but also maybe your opinion on how things might develop as we go through the next, I suppose, few weeks, months and years, I'm guessing, um, which will really take us up to when to expect further hearing and also an outcome on the case that has been taken by South Africa against Israel before the ICJ. So we're just over a week in now um, since South Africa presented their case against Israel at the ICJ, charging them with genocide. And exactly a week since Israel defended their case um, before the ICJ and we've had nothing since. But I'm just, suppose, interested just firstly in asking you about what's been happening so far and just the ICJ and how maybe the structure of that is being presented in terms of what, I mean, South Africa needs to establish and also where we're at in terms of the preventative measures as opposed to the, the full hearing and the merit of the case. Yes. At the moment, um, South Africa had a lower bar of uh, evidence expected from it uh, at the uh, application that it applied uh, with the uh, International Court of Justice. At the moment, what South Africa has presented so far is uh, an application to the International Court of Justice to uh, provide provisional measures uh, and order provisional measures and orders to the State of Israel uh, in order to stop the ongoing genocide in Gaza Strip that has started since the 7th of October. Mm -hmm. um, it has actually presented a lot of evidence uh, that is more than sufficient for uh, the, its application and request. Mm -hmm. uh, it has shown first that uh, uh, the Israeli officials have had an intent for genocide through different um, uh, things that they have said uh, in the media and in different places, through their orders, through uh, the way that they uh, expressed that they intended to uh, destroy Gaza Strip, uh, to destroy the civilian population, 
that they didn't see a difference between civilians and uh, militants in, in the Gaza Strip. Um, all of these uh, statements made by different officials uh, were very important in expressing the intent. But they also, South Africa also, uh, reflected on the military action that Israel has been conducting uh, in the Gaza Strip since the 7th of October. Uh, this military action has uh, uh, several layers, actually. Uh, and this, is, this was very well ex expressed in the South African application. Uh, first, the siege on Gaza Strip. The uh, full closure of the Gaza Strip, the prevention of food, water, medicine, uh, fuel, electricity from getting into the Gaza Strip has been um, uh, first announced and then implemented by the Israeli uh, state institutions. Uh, they actively uh, worked on cutting all of these um, uh, basic needs for the people in Gaza Strip since the very early stages. And South Africa uh, showed how uh, Israel effectively did that. Uh, then the military operations themselves, the type of bombing uh, and shelling that the Israeli army has been conducting in the Gaza Strip uh, was mainly focused on uh, civilian life. Israel uh, bombed everything. Uh, schools, universities, cultural centers, medical institutions, uh, there are, uh, yeah, most of the medical services in Gaza Strip don't exist anymore at the time when uh, there are thousands and thousands of injuries uh, who need urgent uh, treatment, but also that there are thousands of ill people who also need treatment, but also as a result of the uh, Israeli military operations, Diseases are spreading very quickly and pandemics within the population of the Gaza Strip. Um, one of the important elements of the Israeli war in Gaza Strip has been the displacement. Israel has thus far displaced more than 1.9 million Palestinians from their homes in the Gaza Strip. These people uh, uh, and the survivors uh, so far of these people are living uh, in very difficult situations, in very crowded areas. Uh, in schools, in uh, uh, camps, uh, uh, in the streets, also without any roof or tent above their heads. And uh, many of them are have been displaced once, twice, three times and more. Um, and diseases are really spreading very quickly among uh, uh, this population. This has been expressed very well by uh, South Africa as well in its application. Uh, and... Um, and, and the destruction of the uh, medical institutions is actually one of the key elements of the Israeli genocide uh, in, in, in the Gaza Strip. Uh, so all of this has been expressed by South Africa. It also, its application also indicated um, the uh, jurisdiction of the courts uh, on the Gaza Strip, mm -hmm. uh, or on this dispute basically between South Africa and, and Israel. Uh, it did express why the court has jurisdiction uh, based on the um, uh, pre uh, genocide convention, yeah. uh, which uh, allows states to uh, refer to the ICJ cases uh, where there is dispute between any two countries on, on, on genocide. And 
South Africa before this trial uh, had already expressed uh, its concerns uh, with the Israeli genocide in Gaza. It actually referred the situation in, 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 in Gaza Strip to the International uh, Criminal Court, yeah. uh, which is also an important element showing that it, you know, it already had a dispute with Israel on this issue. Uh, it expressed in, in different multilateral uh, uh, spaces uh, its, uh, you know, its, its fear from the Israeli uh, uh, genocide and its concerns. And, um, and therefore, uh, it has actually established everything that it needs to establish uh, to convince uh, the, um, you know, the members of the court. Now, Israel has also presented defenses uh, in the court. Uh, its defenses were, um, I, I would say, two, two parts. On the first part, they focused a lot on jurisdiction. Uh, they are trying to ask the court to reject uh, examining the case in the first place. Uh, so not to go to merit and not to examine genocide in the first place. They say that there is uh, their main argument here is that there is no dispute between uh, Israel and South Africa, basically. That's, that's you know, the main argument yeah. that uh, Israel has presented in the court, uh, that there is no dispute uh, and therefore uh, South Africa should not, you know, that the court should not take the case. Obviously, this is a bit uh, weird. I mean, the fact that South Africa has gone to court even shows that there is a dispute. Yeah. It wouldn't have gone to court just to play. I mean, it doesn't just have uh, extra time and extra lawyers and extra money to go to court, you know, yeah. uh, just for fun. It does see that there is an ongoing genocide that it needed to. It felt that it had to intervene, um, representing the whole world. Actually, yeah, as a state uh, party the... to the convention. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, so it's it's actually establishing, um, you know, a, a universal um, objective mm -hmm. uh, in 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 its um, in its application, and I believe that uh, it has been very brave. I, I should I should say here, and um, and it does show a very high moral standing when it actually made this application. Mm -hmm. uh, it knows that Israel is supported by many countries around the world yeah. uh, and by many powerful countries around the world. It's supported by the United States, uh, which not only supports Israel generally, but it's also supporting the Israeli genocide in, in Gaza Strip. Uh, Israel is supported by the European Union, uh, which has been generally silent about uh, the ongoing genocide. It has been silent about apartheid. Um, uh, so, you know, it's supported by the United Kingdom. It's supported by, uh, you know, Canada, Australia, etc. So this, this genocide has, uh, un unfortunately, is gaining powerful Western support. Yeah. Uh, and South Africa, very courageously, has decided to um, prioritize human protection over its own interests yeah. with 
these countries and I think it's very courageous. It is. So I'll continue with yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, please. just on that point as well I'm interested in getting your thoughts on I suppose legally speaking in terms of countries who will perhaps you know we've we've seen since South Africa brought their case and we heard it on the 11th and 12th of January with Israel's defense countries have come out now and um have been a little bit more outspoken in terms of where they stand on this. And how important is it that a country will lend its support or join um, which is the correct word that, that we've been seeing, South Africa, or indeed, like Germany, join Israel in their defence. What weight does that carry in terms of the court and the interaction with the court and the parties who brought the action or are defending it? It's very important. At the end of the day, this court is a body of the United Nations. And it actually cares about what, about what members of the United Nations think. Mm-hmm. and what they advocate for. Uh, this doesn't necessarily have a determinant um, position inside the court, but uh, it does help a lot. Yeah. Um, and it does, uh, you know, every country has a certain angle of argument that it can bring. Uh, they don't necessarily bring in the same argument. So uh, let's look, for example, at South Africa. South Africa uh, is currently presenting, you know, its arguments for the provisional measures. In the future, uh, when the next stage comes, uh, it will be presenting the case for genocide and providing also evidence about um, the Israeli military operations, about the result of the Israeli military operations, and all of that. You will need other countries that have had interactions also with this situation to testify. Uh, I think, for example, Egypt has a very important role. Until now, it has not expressed its willingness to um, join the case, unfortunately. Uh, I'm hoping that they will change their mind at certain points because they, uh, Israel has actually accused them of, uh, you know, um, uh, of their responsibility over the Rafah crossing, which is currently the main source of uh, humanitarian aid, the main passage of humanitarian aid to Gaza Strip. Israel has been preventing this humanitarian aid, but in the court they decided to accuse Egypt of its responsibility over that. And this is a disaster yeah. uh, for Egypt, actually, and also for Palestine. Um, so Egypt should certainly intervene. Uh, Jordan did express that it's willing to intervene in the case, and that's important. Jordan is a neighbor to Palestine. Uh, it has been um, attempting to drop humanitarian aid to Gaza Strip uh, through um, its airplanes, but also through Egypt. Uh, so it also has a first-hand experience uh, in the uh, issue. Um, and there are uh, many other countries that can uh, contribute. Now, it is very important for each country that can first support South Africa, at least morally, with a statement, is important because it shows that this country uh, believes that, one, the court has jurisdiction over the case, two, that Israel is conducting genocide in the case, mm-hmm. and uh, in, in, in Gaza Strip. And that's very important. These two expressions um, uh, are, are very important to make. <coughs> the contrary is also very dangerous. Countries that support Israel uh, are expressing one or two of the following positions. One, 
that the court maybe does not have a jurisdiction over the case um, and that maybe more of a you know a, a purely legal issue yeah. uh, but two which is more dangerous uh, in my opinion uh, expressing that Israel is not conducting genocide and here we are going to deny it we know that denial of genocide is very dangerous we have experienced that in the past those who deny the Holocaust for example um, are uh, very much risking uh, the worldwide recognition uh, of this terrible crime that happened um, uh, during the Second World War. And, um, you know, this is very uh, dangerous to uh, peace, to security, to human dignity. Currently, unfortunately, we are witnessing this denial while the genocide is still ongoing, uh, we are witnessing that there are many countries that are, and individuals obviously, that are taking this denial position, um, which risks the continuation of the genocide. If you don't oppress genocide, what you're actually doing is that you are encouraging the continuation of a genocide. This is the position of the United States. This is the position of Germany, unfortunately. Uh, and to be honest, I mean, with Germany, I feel that it is very sad that a country that has had genocide on its hands in the past, uh, not only in the Second World War, but much earlier, Namibia reminded us of a, yes. of, of a much earlier genocide than the Holocaust, but then the Holocaust. And the Holocaust was it, you know, was a, was a time that changed Germany, changed it very much. Uh, after the Second World War, Germany expressed repentance, basically. Um, and it expressed that it will never do this again. And indeed, it has taken the responsibility very strongly for its genocide, it has been uh, presenting reparations, uh, it has changed its edu educational system, uh, which, is, uh, which is great. Now you talk to any German person, you will find that all of them are really aware uh, of their mistake, or the, their country's mistake, obviously, and they will do everything in their capacity to prevent this again. But why would you allow it to another people? Yes, of course, we, we, we need to prevent any attempt to genocide to the Jewish people. This is a, 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 not only a German responsibility, but this is a, a responsibility for each one of us uh, in the world. But this certainly should not mean that we allow genocide on other people. Uh, the Palestinian people do not deserve genocide. Uh, they deserve freedom and justice. And what Germany is currently doing is uh, is complicity in genocide, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that they should really re-examine their ethical, yeah. um, you know, their, their ethical... Um, yeah. It's just very hard to understand how they've, they've taken that position 
Um, you know, there has been a lot of backlash within Germany itself, even over it. So it remains to be seen if they do review that position. I suppose one question just on the provisional measures. Is it a case that if the provisional measures, if we get a um, judgment on that, will that impact the, the merit, the overall merit of the case, which will, of course, take years, I'm guessing, for an outcome you know, to, to be reached in this when we consider all of the investigations that have to be carried out and a review of all of the evidence of which there's significant, a significant amount. Will um, the hearings and the outcome of those hearings on the 11th of the 12th and 12th of January impact the case going forward, do you think? Uh, yeah, certainly, but not totally. So provisional measures in the you know, legally spe- and purely legally speaking, means that a certain court is convinced that there is a basis for it to take provisional measures because, generally speaking, the party that has asked for the provisional measures has shown that there is enough evidence, at least, you know, uh, to, to show that a crime is actually taking place um, and that the court should intervene uh, immediately. It doesn't mean that the court is yet convinced that this crime has been conducted. And this will be clear when they do, when they provide the provisional measures, they will not have already judged that Israel has conducted genocide. Mm -hmm. But what they would, what the court would have uh, done by that point is that it is convinced that there is enough evidence for it to know that there is a basis to examine the genocide convention in this case, in the Palestine-Gaza case. Um, and therefore, it would have to uh, provide these provisional measures. Now, this is important. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, if it uh, denies these provisional measures, uh, it also doesn't mean that it does not think that there is a genocide, but it's a very bad okay. time at yeah. the same time. And uh, it also means that it is allowing the genocide to continue uh, until it will decide if, if, in a few years from now um, on the um, merit of the case. That would be very unfortunate if that happened. Uh, I don't, we, nobody expected, by the way. Uh, most of the experts uh, who know genocide and who know the ICJ uh, believe uh, that the court will take these measures. It has taken them in the past, mm-hmm. um, and that you know that means that it will take measures. Yeah. Now, it will not probably allow uh, an ongoing genocide to simply continue. Uh, it will not take that moral responsibility and that legal responsibility. Uh, it does have a legal obligation to give these measures. It's not just a matter of choice. It's also a matter of, um, you know, of, of legal, mm-hmm. um, you know, legal responsibility for the court uh, members, the judges, uh, to give these measures. So in mo- most probably, uh, the court will give these, me- these provisional yeah. measures that, 
I suppose you've, you've touched on this, and that's a very important point um, to clear up, but you've touched on, I suppose, what South Africa have set out in terms of their charges, and I think their lawyer, um, Adila Hasim, had noted five main genocidal acts that she accused Israel of committing mass killings of Palestinians, bodily and mental harm, forced displacement and food blockade, destruction of the healthcare system, preventing Palestinian births, horrendous charges, and you know they're using evidence that they have to back that up. But I'm interested in looking at intent and while most legal commentators and experts um, like you, I, I have heard, um, are, are on, the, on the same side, I guess, in terms of what the outcome might be and what the court's responsibility is, especially when it comes to the protective measures. But I'm interested in how difficult it is to establish intent. I did hear one legal commentator say that, you know, intent under the Genocide Act will be difficult to establish, despite the fact that Israel have been or that South Africa have been able to present and will present, presumably, um, a serious and a significant amount of evidence. How do we link intent, though, with the actual actions? And will that, in your experience or in your um, opinion, be difficult to prove? Let me maybe give a little bit of a background explanation about genocide. Genocide was not, by the way, prosecuted in the Second World War. In the, after the Second World War, the uh, winning parties of the war created the um, uh, Nuremberg Tribunal and the uh, Tokyo Tribunal. And within these tribunals, they defined only war crimes and crimes against humanity. Um, then later, the word genocide developed because it was clearly understood that all the crimes against humanity that Germany, for example, uh, conducted during the Second World War, that you know that were recognized at that time as crimes against humanity, uh, were with a very specific intent. They were not there just as crimes normal against crimes against, I mean, there is no normal crime against humanity, but they were not just any crimes against humanity. They were done with a calculation to destroy the Jewish people in Germany and in other places. And this was given a very specific importance in the development of international law and international criminal law from that point on, it was seen that if a country is killing people, transferring people, torturing people, uh, etc., causing all of this physical and um, psychological devastation to a specific group of people, because, you know, with the intention here, of destroying it in part or uh, as a whole, then these crimes against humanity become genocide. Then they start. Then they get a new definition. So what distinguishes genocide from other crimes against humanity, extermination, um, uh, killing civilians uh, in a widespread manner, right, in, in, in a conflict. Um, uh, transferring, you know, just transfer of civilians and displacement of civilians, deportation of civilians, uh, is the intent of that specific um, state to destroy a population. 
Now, because what characterizes genocide is an intent, then this is what you need to prove in court yeah. if you're making the genocide claim. South Africa has made its application based on one convention, the Genocide Convention, the convention that the international community created in 1948, aiming at stopping genocide and fighting genocide and oppressing genocide and punishing genocide um, from that point onward. Therefore, if what is happening in Gaza Strip is only crimes against humanity and war crimes, the court doesn't have a jurisdiction on this case because South Africa is not claiming now in yeah. this case war crimes, crimes against humanity. It's claiming genocide. This means that South Africa at the provisional stage, which we are in right now, which we expect will probably be decided by the 6th of February, so within a couple of weeks from now, uh, or uh, in the longer term, uh, after it goes to the whole case against Israel, it will need to show and prove that Israel is not only conducting war crimes and crimes against humanity, which it has done for a very long time, actually, in every military operation that it conducted over the past you know, decades, it has conducted war crimes and crimes against humanity. It's a country that is conducting apartheid, for example, uh, in Gaza Strip and the West Bank and Jerusalem and within its own territory also, uh, the, uh, the territory where it, it claims its uh, sovereignty. Uh, and apartheid is a crime against humanity. So it does conduct crimes against humanity, different crime against, mm -hmm. crimes against humanity, but this specific act in Gaza Strip needs to be shown that it is not only a crime against humanity or a, or a group of crime, crimes against humanity, it's actually a, um, a genocide. One of the things that it needed to prove, and I believe that it has done this very well, is the statement that came out of all of these um, politicians. Yeah. Starting from the president, who just before talking to you, I hear is uh, now facing accusations in Switzerland. Okay. Uh, he's currently in Switzerland and he seems to be facing accusations. Who knows what will happen? We will follow the news after we finish recording our podcast. <laughs> Uh, the president did say uh, that there is no such, you know, something that means that there is no distinction between civilians and um, um, and, and military, and that uh, the civilians made the mistake of uh, uh, not revolting against Hamas, which makes them also um, subject to blame and subject to the Israeli uh, armies. Um, targets, mm -hmm. uh, but also like the Prime Minister and the Minister of uh, Defense, all of whom have made a lot of expressions showing their intention to, uh, you know, destroy the Gaza Strip. Now, there are many, many statements, hundreds of statements yes. uh, from politicians at all different levels, but there are also statements and, uh, and expressions from Many, many people 
below this level, below the uh, political level. Israel has not taken any steps to prevent the genocidal language. Yeah. And history tells us, by the way, uh, despite that, I don't think that this is something uh, uh, that was argued in this case yet, but I'm sure it, it might come in the future more uh, and it will take a significance. The genocide in Rwanda uh, was very much encouraged by media, by the media, you know, by radio stations telling people to go and kill. Uh, people carried uh, whatever knives they found around their house and went and started killing people uh, in Rwanda uh, because of the, the, the media influence. Yeah. Um, the, but, but South Africa did show how the soldiers in Gaza Strip actually repeated words from Netanyahu, the prime minister, while they were uh, doing the, the, the very wide-scale destruction. So they repeated the Netanyahu genocidal language while they were doing their, their, their job. So uh, this is one part of the intent. Now, the other part, this is the expression. But let's assume that all the Israeli politicians were silent and they did not say any genocidal expression. Okay, let's assume that this is the case, which is not, but let's assume it. Does this mean then that we cannot prove genocidal intent? And the answer is no. Okay. It's not only what you say in your mouth or what you write or etc. It's also how you conduct your war. If you prevent food, medicine, water, uh, fuel, electricity from a whole civilian population in a certain place, and if you destroy the ability of the medical sector to deal with uh, all the um, casualties, and if you destroy most of the houses in the areas where you are striking, and if you displace 85% of the population into places where there is no safety, no, uh, no food, no water, this is a genocide. Yeah. Yeah. You are actually destroying a population. And we know also that the Israeli state institutions have been negotiating and asking from Egypt and from other countries to receive all the Palestinian population from Gaza Strip. So the plan has been to, deploy, to, to, to displace everyone in Gaza Strip, to make Gaza Strip an empty Territory, crazy. Yeah. We are in the we are in the tw 2024 now, yeah. and there are still politicians and army people who want to e evict a total area from uh, a you know, population mm -hmm. and make it em make it empty. I mean, they it did they did manage to do it in the in 1948, and they think it's still possible yeah. in 2024. So all of these circumstances show that even if they did not say anything, that their actions were genocidal yeah. and are genocidal. Mm -hmm. And this is enough also. It does is prove intent. Enough? Yeah, on that point when you mentioned we're looking specifically at genocide, is there a way or is there any other case that can be taken 
um, alongside this action that only looks at the war crime element? Or is that something that wouldn't be worth doing? Why just focus on the genocide aspect of it if there are clear grounds that have to be proven when there are other conventions that have been breached and there's other mechanisms under international law within which to address the the war crime and the breach of humanitarian law, for example. What can be done there, if anything? The reason why South Africa went to the genocide is, um, one, that there is a genocide happening. Mm -hmm. Two, that there is a convention that allows South Africa to go to the International Court of Justice. And this is a unique opportunity, by the way. Yeah. It, I mean, not, m- most conventions will not allow you to do that, uh, especially if there are reservations by different states uh, on uh, that would not allow you to go to court. You know, go, going to court is not an automatic thing. You need the consent of every state to go to court. Now, Israel made this consent when it um, ratified the convention without expressing any reservation on Article 9 of the Convention, which allows countries to uh, file applications against each other in the International Court of Justice. So basically, Israel has allowed any state that wants to sue it to do that in the International Court of Justice on this specific convention. It did not do that with other conventions. Okay. Okay? So this convention provides a very unique opportunity to us. Uh, in the International Court of Trust. Now, third reason, before I go there, the third reason is that this allows the court to give provisional measures. Provisional measures can save lives, can actually change the dynamic of the interaction of the international community with Israel. Mm -hmm. It is binding, fully binding. It's not an advisory opinion. It's not, you know, it's it's, it's a binding uh, decision. So Israel will have to abide by it. If it doesn't, then the international community will have to intervene, yeah. uh, legally speaking, right? So it will change the dynamic. It's very important. It can save lives, and um, you know, uh, and this is our first priority right now. Now, there is another court that has jurisdiction on our case, which is the International Criminal Court. Yeah. The International Criminal Court in 2021, decided that it does have jurisdiction over the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip. This is a court decision. So now it's we know for sure that it has jurisdiction. The way the court, the international criminal court works is different. Countries cannot file cases against each other in the International Criminal Court. The International Criminal Court actually does not really address state responsibility. It addresses individual criminal responsibility. Uh, So, and it does that through a prosecutor who is basically the gatekeeper of the court and who has the the power to decide which case he or she is going to take further and file, um, accuse a certain person of uh, a crime, a war crime, a crime against 
humanity, a genocide also. <coughs> this all is in the power of the prosecutor. The prosecutor is currently uh, Mr. Karim Khan, who unfortunately has been refraining for many years, well, not many, two years now, from moving forward with the Palestinian uh, file. And he's, he has been refraining from um, accusing Israelis of war crimes or crimes against humanity, despite all of the evidence that he has and all of the work that his predecessor, uh, the former prosecutor, Fatah bin Souda, conducted. Um, he came to a visit for a pre, uh, during the uh, during this genocide uh, first to Israel surprisingly um, even before going to uh, investigate in the state that has joined the International Criminal Court uh, and joined the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court which is Palestine mm -hmm. so he started by visiting Israel uh, uh, looking uh, going through the um, areas that uh, W that Israel, uh, that um, uh, Hamas and other uh, groups uh, and individuals attacked uh, back on, on the 7th of October. Um, here, the Israeli state uh, official uh, story about what happened without investigating. So he did say that I'm not coming to investigate, which is very weird. Yeah. Why would the prosecutor visit a place Incredible. Without investigating, your job is to investigate, not to visit and uh, and tour places and hear state stories, right? But that's what he did. It's very unfortunate, and it's very um, yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Unfair. Would, yeah. Do you think anything will change given the volume of cases that might be brought forward, or are there a significant increase in cases brought forward to the ICC? I mean, we are still waiting. He has to move. He has a legal obligation to move. Uh, yes, he has a lot of power, but his power must, must not be abused. Yeah. Um, he is currently witnessing a genocide, as well as a very large number of war crimes and crimes against humanity. Yeah. He has the capacity to contribute to ending this genocide and these war crimes and these crimes against humanity. He is witnessing an apartheid, which is also a crime against humanity. And he has the capacity to do that. He has a legal obligation to do that. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, he is still not conducting his job properly in Palestine. He has been much more active in Ukraine. Okay. This is what is called double standard. Yeah. When you can see that a person and an institution is active somewhere and talking about international law and crimes and accusing and uh, and all of that, and then silence somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Look, I don't think that the Israelis will be able to get away with all of these crimes forever. Now, they have enjoyed impunity yes. for decades, but maybe my sense of justice is telling me that this will not continue forever. Mm -hmm. And it's not only my sense of justice. So it's not only, I, I do have a naive sense of justice. 
I admit that, right? Uh, I always believe that justice will prevail. This comes from somewhere in my heart and not necessarily uh, my brain. <laughs> However, I also can see that there are so many active anti-genocide, anti-apartheid, anti-crimes against humanity lawyers and activists around the world who are working. Today, we have been surprised, actually, I, I have been surprised to hear about what happened in Switzerland. Mm. I don't know how that will end. Maybe the Israeli president will be arrested. Maybe not, right? Uh, but it shows me that there are people in Switzerland who are looking for a way to contribute to end the genocide by holding those who are responsible accountable. Yeah. I also know that there will be similar people everywhere else around the world. Yeah. I know that there are many in Ireland, right? And uh, uh, who will not allow uh, complicity or even silence against genocide to continue. Mm -hmm. I know that for sure. I know right. the Irish yeah. people, right? I know that there, in England, I've studied in England, and I've seen the difference between the human rights community and the state institution. So I also know that people will be active. I know that this is true in the United States. The main supporter of Israel, now there is a case in the United States against Biden. Next Friday, That's right, we yeah. will be witnessing a case in California. Which a lot of people don't and, know about, and it's very significant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's against Biden for supporting genocide and mm -hmm. complicity with genocide. So it's next Friday, and I think it's very exciting. So I think that what has kept the world silent for a, a long time is changing. And I believe that South Africa has breached the wall of impunity mm -hmm. against Palestine. It has been a wall of impunity that has kept us and kept the Israelis out of accountability. This wall has been constructed by the US, the European Union, and uh, many other countries, but also many complicit uh, uh, regimes uh, in the Middle East, uh, uh, in Africa, in all different places around the world, uh, who, has, who have helped impunity. Now, I believe that South Africa has, ma has made a very important breach in this war. And it will allow more and more breaches until the wall of impunity is totally broken. Yeah. And until we start seeing accountability. Mm -hmm. Once we start seeing accountability, I believe the dynamic will change and crimes will not be as cheap as they have been in the past. And when the crimes are not cheap anymore, they stop. You know, apartheid was easy in, in South Africa itself. South Africa has the experience. Yeah. I mean, we learn from South Africa. South Africa is an important model for us as Palestinians, by the way. We learn from their struggles. They were treated as subhuman by the apartheid regime for decades, but they continued fighting and fighting and fighting, and they managed 
to make apartheid costly for the apartheid regime until they managed to dismantle that apartheid regime. I believe we are heading there. Yeah. We are in the way. Nothing will be able to stop it. It will be costly for us as well. I know that. Mm-hmm. We are still, I mean, what we are witnessing today in Gaza is, 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 is very costly. Each life, each child, each mother, each father who are being murdered in Gaza Strip uh, is 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 a price that nobody has to pay. No no human being should pay. Every person who is suffering pain, physical pain in Gaza Strip, and they don't find any medicine uh, or any relief uh, uh, to, re- to to reduce the pain. This is what's happening now. People are doing surgeries without uh, uh, anesthesia, right? Am I pronouncing it right? Yes, Still you're no. pronouncing it right. Yes. Uh, so this is uh, this is crazy. This is uh, uh, you know everything happening in Gaza is is unhuman and inhumane, and um, and and nobody deserves it. Yeah. We are paying a very expensive price for 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 our freedom, but eventually we will have to get it. It, you know, our status quo cannot continue. The Israelis failed to see that, unfortunately, mm. until now. Israeli leaders yeah. failed to see that they have to change something. Mm-hmm. They believe that what doesn't come with force will come with more force. This is their motto, basically, yeah. in life. Um, and they always say that Arabs only understand force and power, and we don't understand anything else. This is also something you keep hearing in the media all yeah. the time. And not only now, since always. We've heard it for decades. Yeah, they're not planning to change themselves. This they're is the not thing. planning this to change that. themselves. And it's just so, it's so unsettling. And I, I guess we're talking about the legal aspect of everything. And then we brought right back down to earth when we realized that this is still, it's ongoing as we speak and there's no signs of this stopping. So while it's fascinating to me as well to talk about the legal aspect, and I mean, this is, as you said, you've tapped in there to your sense of justice. I find that so inspiring to hear you, your thoughts, your opinion as an expert, but also as a Palestinian and as somebody who's lived through all of this to share your thoughts with that on this. And I suppose you've answered my my question about um, how impactful or significant it is in, in South Africa taking this case regardless of the outcome and I don't even want to go down that road of talking about the outcome at, at this sense we're, we're very very hopeful but as you say it's seismic in terms of addressing accountability and it's the first time that we as the global community have seen some sort of movement in that direction and I guess that's why people have been quite relieved and quite proud of the action that's been taken and standing together to see this. What do you think the sense is when it comes to um, the ICJ and this hearing? Are people talking about it? Are people hopeful or are they feeling this is just another waste of time because we know that they're not going to they've acted with impunity for years they haven't ever been held accountable and they've given up hope what what have you been hearing okay my uh, interaction with people is uh, um, basically there are this human rights community which i am uh, in touch with and the human rights community is very much hopeful and they believe that a lot of good things will come out of this uh, breach in the wall of impunity that South Africa has made. Uh, 
and that is specifically the case, the ICJ case, people are optimistic about this. Now, the rest of the Palestinian population, they don't believe in international law anymore, unfortunately. Uh, they feel that human rights are not for us. They are for some other nations around the world, but not for us. They have been disappointed time and time again with international institutions and with the ability of international institutions to protect the Palestinian people. We have been witnessing veto after veto to shield Israel from accountability. We have been witnessing uh, meetings and conferences uh, around the world with a lot of good words sometimes, but no action coming out of words. You go through the UN Security Council as well as General Assembly uh, resolutions record, and you will really find a lot of uh, important statements made there historically since 1948. But when you look at the ground, you know, you will find that nobody has ever yet been punished for anything. And that we have no way to protect ourselves from genocide, apartheid, war crimes, crimes against humanity, etc. So people ha are very much disappointed. And when we talk about courts and international courts, they follow. But they always, and you know, even journalists who are very well experienced, they always talk about it as if like that this is uh, useless. You know, I, I talk to journalists a lot, and they always want to reach the conclusion that whatever happens here, will, we will get to the same place that we have gotten to time and time again in the history. That there will be discussions, there will be statements, but then you look on the ground and there is nothing changing. I believe differently. Uh, and not only because of my naive sense of justice, but also because this is an important case that South Africa has made. It does have a lot of ways that it can take forward for results and for accountability. This cannot be taken for granted. It needs to be planned. It needs to be uh, or, uh, thought about in order for us to eventually uh, find results. Because, yes, the Security Council is a hopeless case. The U.S. will use the veto in the Security Council. So there's nothing we can hope for in the Security Council. But then we need to plan for the General Assembly and what we're going to do in the General Assembly um, when, it, when, 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 when a decision comes out of the court. So that all is very important. It's still struggle. There, is no, there isn't one button that we can press and then the genocide and the war crimes will stop. Unfortunately, it's still a very long way towards accountability and towards justice. But I believe that South Africa has opened an important road and that this road will lead to a lot of um, justice. Well, Dr. Munir Nisaiba, thank you so much for sharing your extremely important and insightful 
um, legal opinion, but also your own personal thoughts on on all of this. We're all watching and I know you've had a very, very busy few weeks, so I'm really appreciative of your time and stay in touch with us here. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. One final word. Uh, We love Ireland. Yes. (laughs) And we have a very important relationship with Ireland, a relationship very actually quite similar to our relationship with South Africa, that there is mutual understanding, mutual struggle and history. And that's why we expect a lot from Ireland. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I want to say that because I'm sure that a lot of the listeners to this podcast uh, are from Ireland, North and South. And I think this message is important. We expect a lot from you and from Ireland as a state in this important time. Uh, Please don't disappoint us. You will not. I know you will not. But Let's hope our readers are listening. Let's hope they're the ones who need to hear this. Let's hope they're listening and take note. Yeah, we need you. We need you to stop this genocide. Mm -hmm. Dr. Nasiba, again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks everyone for joining me today. If you like the show, please remember to share and leave a review if you have a moment. And you can also check out our website, www.activistlawyer.com, where you will see some blog articles written by our guests and contributors, as well as some fabulous Activist Lawyer merchandise. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast, but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.